go. So um, these are amazing friends. I get to uh, call um, Aaron every couple of weeks and just check in. Maybe not every couple of weeks, every couple of months. We try check in and stay in touch and hear what's going on. And um, it's amazing what, uh, you know, when you, you think of um, lockdown and levels and all these different things. And sometimes as we reflect, we might find that while we have been complaining about the externals, God has been doing some deep work in the internals. And um, that's definitely the story uh, with this uh, small group of people up uh, hundreds, actually uh, almost thousands of kilometers away from us who found us online, thanks to Jen and Fab. And I think it's just a good reminder sometimes to think the kind of relationships we're building and the kind of people we're encouraging, you never know what might come of those little hellos and those little greetings and those friendships that you build. And um, we often, when we say we've got 16 or 17 life groups, I always forget, in our church, we always try to include our life group and Tofu as well because they feel so a part of us and uh, so connected to us. So keep them in your prayers and let's keep encouraging them um, in any way we possibly can. But it's, it's cool, isn't it? Yay. So we're carrying on on our gift series, and um, I've got my Bible in front of me today because I want to look today at the gift of the Holy Spirit and how He works through the Scriptures, how the Holy Spirit works through the Scriptures so that you and I can have a real encounter with God in the Scriptures. You see, so much of our lives especially if we followers of Jesus, may be a little like I tried that, and now we're in a bit of a rut when it comes to reading the Bible. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up if that's you, but I know it can be true of many of us that as we read the Scriptures, we find ourselves getting in a rut, and we do it because we know we meant to, but it isn't always as life-giving as it could or should be. And today, I don't want to spend most of my time telling you that you've got time to do it, not trying to tell you all the practicals. I want to try to call your heart and your mind to see that there is nothing better to do with your life than to know the Scriptures and to encounter God in the Bible. And it's actually quite an amazing thing because we've been looking at the book of Acts, and primarily we looked at Acts chapter 1 where we see that Jesus says, you know what, it's better that I leave because I'm going to send you my counselor. And so Jesus ascends to the right hand of God the Father, and he sends his Holy Spirit. And he says his Holy Spirit is going to do what he was doing except multiplied across the planet. In each of our lives, he will be like the presence of Jesus walking with us. But amazingly, when Jesus was baptized in the Spirit, Just like uh, the church gets baptized in Acts chapter uh, 2, something happens. Remember Derek told us this kind of pattern where Jesus gets baptized and the church gets baptized. And Luke writes both uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and he writes these parallel journeys because he says, what happened in Jesus is going to happen in the church, and you should be tracking these stories together. So let's look at these two passages Together, Because the church in Acts chapter 2 have this encounter where the Spirit of God is poured out of them. And I just want to read a very short verse out of uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 42. There's great things that happen. They speak in tongues they don't understand except for each other. There's the sense of God's power. There's even these tongues of fire that come down on them. And it says in Acts chapter 2 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Isn't that interesting? That the first thing that happens is that they devote themselves to reading the Scriptures. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know what the apostles' teachings were? They were teaching the Scriptures. These were the very genesis of the New Testament. The apostles' teaching was them going, here's the Old Testament. Let's interpret it. Now that Jesus has come, they start to put pen to paper and explain the Scriptures. And the people of God start to study it. So they've been filled with the Spirit, and the first thing they do as a people is they look at the Scriptures. They start to encounter God as they read the Scriptures, okay? And we see it also in Jesus' life. Listen to this, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. This is a bit longer. Read with me. It should come up on the screens. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he's just been baptized, come out of the water. It says this, he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and for their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give to it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle in the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. See how uh, the devil even uses scripture on Jesus. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is God's word. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that today we would be a people who remind ourselves, who are reminded with the help of your Holy Spirit, that the scriptures that we have been given are not like any other book that lies on our shelf, not like any other book that lives in our home. These are the scriptures that you have given us to transform us, to teach us, to warn us, to correct us, to remind us, and to coach us in the lives we should live. I pray for a fresh reverence, a fresh awareness, a fresh wonder at the gift of scripture this morning. I pray, God, that our Bibles would become more precious to us, not because of the paper and the cardboard that covers them, but because of the message that's in them and the power of the message that you have breathed into humanity. I pray that you would speak to us today in your name. Amen. So how do you feel about your Bible? How do you think of the Scriptures I don't know if you remember these things. I didn't only discovered the name, but they are called stereograms. Who remembers the stereogram? When I was a kid, this was like cutting-edge technology. And um, these stereograms came out. I actually did find this one, so maybe you guys can remember this. But, but you squint your eyes, and you look long enough, and eventually you pick up the picture in it. Remember these things? Some of us are old enough to remember them. Are they still cool? Sam? Is Sam in here? Are they like, do people actually still do these things? I don't know. But anyway, stereograms, and, and who remembers the experience? You know, your siblings have got it, you know, and they're staring at it going, it's a plane. 
and you are so cross with them. You just want to punch them because they are so smug about the fact that they can see the plane. And you are staring and you're squinting and you're looking back and you're looking forward and you can't, for goodness sake, see what they say. All you see is a bunch of dots, right? These things became so uh, annoying and amazing to the people who got them. I think the Bible can be a bit like that for many of us. Some of us have got it, and you go, oh my gosh, I've got it. And you start enjoying it, and the thrill of reading the Bible just gets exponentially more beautiful the more you tap into it. Whereas other people find themselves just squinting their faces at it going, yeah, I just wish I was like them. They got it, and I don't, and it is getting more and more tedious. And so you know what ends up happening is, one, we become a little numb to the whole thing. And so we start feeding off of kind of the, the, the scraps of the church life. We pitch up a church. We get some great messages. Hooray. And uh, some buddies at Life Group encourage us. And we sne- you know, sneak in the odd prayer time. Amazing. But this beautiful body of truth that was given to us is like this thing where you squint your eyes and you just pretend it never really happened. And if that is you, today I want to invite you into the adventure of a lifetime. Today, I want to kind of tell you that the Holy Spirit would invite you to never be the same again. If you can basically read. I'm not telling you you need to have got all A's in high school. And that's one of the misnomers of Scripture, is that unless you're intelligent, you can't read it. It's not true. Today, we are killing the lie that if you don't like reading, you don't get into the Scriptures. If you are mildly interested in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the Scriptures are for you. They are made for you. They are breathed by God so that you can grow and learn and become a person who knows him. And I know that this is not the best time of year necessarily to call us to read the scriptures. You might be going, "Jeez, Rog, read the room, bro. This is more like a February kind of talk. We're, you know, New Year's resolutions. We all know, sadly, what happens with New Year's resolutions. They don't work either. Whether it's November or Jan or Feb, the point is, is either you make this your own or you don't. And I actually am strategically and thoughtfully, and I prayed about it, and I felt like I need to say this in the end of November, that this is our lifeblood. And that actually the best time of the year to, to face this and to look at the scriptures and to wake ourselves up again to the beauty of scripture is today is the day that God wakes you up because you want this not to be something you get right in Jan. You want this to be something you get right for the rest of your life. You set your course into the scriptures. You set your course into the beauty of encountering God every day in the scriptures and your life will never be the same again. And yes, it might feel on day one and two like, you know, actually doesn't feel too different, although I doubt that. But week two, and month two, and year two, and then decade two, and the person you have become because of your daily habits of getting in Scripture and encountering God in Scripture will mean that you are a person you don't recognize from two decades ago because you immersed yourself in the story that was meant to shape you. 2 Timothy 3.16, you might have heard this a few times if you've heard about Scripture. It says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 
so that the servant of God may be fully equipped or thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is given to us to, to help us in every aspect of life. It's breathed by God. This is a part of the talk I can't get into today. What does it mean that human authors were used by God to write stories? They themselves were imperfect. They wrote about imperfect people who made a whole bunch of mistakes. And yet God in his beautiful and powerful wisdom has compiled and pulled these stories together to tell a cohesive and powerful story of how he has brought redemption into the world as a creator God. That's the story of Scripture from beginning to end, how the creator who uh, created in love has moved upon rebellious and rejecting human beings to show his ongoing love. And it is a thrilling story that if you read, if you engage with, is going to do all sorts of stuff. It's going to teach you. It's going to rebuke you. Maybe that's why we don't like the Scriptures. It's going to correct us. It's going to train us in righteousness to equip us for every good thing. You know, if you want to do the good stuff God's got for you, you've got to be in the Scriptures. So today I want to pull on an ancient, time-tested method for just encountering God in Scripture, walking and working with the Holy Spirit to encounter God in Scripture. It goes through these kind of four steps. Read, think, pray, live. Read, think, pray, live. And um, in each one, it's about reading. It's about hungering and submitting to truth. And the second one, it's about asking for insights uh, as you think. Then you try to uh, kind of uh, ask, what is God doing through me? And then finally, try to encounter God to make sure that this is not just a cerebral exercise. It's not just me thinking about stuff. It's me actually experiencing God in Scripture. Sound good? Here's the thing. Some of us, when it comes to Scripture, we're waiting for some inspiration. So maybe you're going, this is a great talk because I needed someone to inspire me to read the Bible. Cool, I'll do that. But the problem with waiting for inspiration, I was reminded of this by John Tyson. He says, waiting for inspiration is for amateurs. If you're always waiting for inspiration, you basically wake up going, oh, I don't feel inspired today. If you're waiting for inspiration all the time to read the scriptures, you're going to live off of whether or not you feel inspired. Amateurs wait for inspiration, says Tyson. Pros have a process. I love that. Amateurs wait for inspiration. Pros have a process. And so that's why we're not going to wait till the new year, because we're going to put a process in place for how we read scripture that is going to be started today, and it's going to be happening for the rest of our lives. You can tweak it to make it work for you, but the point is we want to have a, a process for how we read scripture. So here we go. First part is this. Read it. Read the scriptures. Now, for me, reading the scriptures, I like to read it in the same place, basically the same time every day. And that's actually quite a crucial part of it because uh, scripture reading is about uh, getting a process. It's about getting some rhythms and habits. In fact, in my preparation, uh, and that's one of the bonuses of being a preacher, is you get to reevaluate yourself as you go into this. And uh, we had to have a family meeting whereby we said, you know what, guys, just to let you know, mom and dad are always your mom and dad, except between 5.30 and 6.20 in the morning. You're on your own. <laughs> We're with God, and you can do whatever you like as long as you're quiet <laughs> and you don't interrupt us. Is that not cool? Is that bad parenting? I don't know. You can come talk to me afterwards. The point is, is we are in a little zone 
in our lives. And we, tr- we find other times, sometimes we drop them off at school and we try to get back into Scripture for half an hour, whatever it may be. But the point is, is we've had to reevaluate that in that time, kids, you can get a book, you can sit quietly, you can lie in your bed, you can cuddle with some toys, but we just need time to start the day, to be deep in Scripture. We want to read it and we want it to read us and we don't want to miss out on our lives because we had, you know, 10 years of kids and we didn't make a plan. Because how quick that can happen. I don't know what stage of life you're in and what excuses that stage of life gives you. But I want to suggest that the first place to start is to start to read Scripture. And there's two ways you can read the Scriptures. Uh, I probably have a good example from just yesterday. uh, My neighbor bumps into me yesterday. She's reversing out the, the driveway. And I am trying to fix a piece of irrigation. So I'm on my haunches. And the irrigation is on, so if I let something go, I will get sprayed in the face and I'll get wet everywhere. So I say, hello, I wish I could chat more, but I can't. How are you? Y'all good, us too. Brilliant, thank you. And she drives away and I get up and I'm like, cool, I'm not wet. Sometimes Bible reading can be a bit like that, you know. Then, then the other day, uh, my neighbor, another neighbor comes and knocks on the door. And I was uh, midway through doing some work Friday morning, and she says, you know, I really need to ask you some questions about life, and, and I, I need some help with regards to getting a, a support group. I, I have never met her, but she knew that we were pastors. So I invite her in, and we sit, and we pray, and I listen to a bit of her story, and I connect her to some people in our community, and we meet each other. It's so different. Have a nice day. All the best with that, God. I'm busy. I got to Come in. Let's sit. Let's talk. Let's really meet. When you read your Bible, what is your first posture? Are you trying to get this thing done whilst you're making sure you don't get wet? Or are you inviting God into the deepest space of your life to try to really meet meaningfully? Brendan Manning says it like this. Because we approach the gospel with preconceived notions of what it should say, Rather than what it does say, the word no longer falls like rain on the parched ground of our souls. It no longer sweeps like a wild storm into the corners of our comfortable piety. It no longer vibrates like sharp lightning in the dark recesses of our non-historic orthodoxy. The gospel becomes, in the words of Gertrude Stein, a pattering of pious platitudes spoken by a Jewish carpenter in the distant past. Have you become comfortable with Scripture? where you sort of just know what it's going to say next, or you kind of have an inclination of the basic storyline, and you're no longer wowed by what's actually going on. And so you kind of read through it, but your mind has actually already started the day, and you basically know the story, or you kind of think you've read something similar in another passage somewhere. So, you know, let's just get through it, and then I'll say my, you know, very similar prayers, because, you know, I know those prayers that I normally pray before the day, and then I will move on? Can we become numb potentially to the wonder of this multitude of stories and interactions and information that could transform our hearts? Are we no longer wowed like the psalmist of Psalm 19 who says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. It brings refreshing to the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Who wants to be wise? The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. 
The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. So much shakable ground we're on. There's so many things that are moving and uncertain. Imagine every day we were on the firm ground of Scripture. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. What do you look forward to? Your favorite meal? What are you longing for? The Scriptures are better. By them, your servant is warned. When last did you read the scriptures and you suddenly feel a little pale? I missed that. I haven't seen that. I've been living my life as though God was this and I I didn't even know it. How could I have gone this long? By them, your servant is warned. Whoa. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. The scriptures come in to discern our own hearts. Not just that we read them, but they come and they read us and they start to change us. They're sweet. They're precious. They're firm. They're enduring forever. They bring joy. I hope I'm starting to refresh your view of this beautiful thing and what happens inside as you begin to read it. I wonder about Jesus as he faces those temptations and he says to the enemy each time, it is written. If you flash back 10 years before that moment, what was Jesus doing that morning when he got into the the scroll and he got to read these promises that actually man shall not live on bread alone? Because Jesus could have read a whole bunch of scripture. He knew all the genealogies. But that day, as the enemy comes to him and promises him everything he could ever dream of right here, right now, temptation is real. It's dripping all over his life, just like it does on ours. And he comes to the enemy and he goes, no, no, no. I prepared for this moment 10 years ago. I remember that week like it was yesterday when I got into that scripture that says man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the Father. It was like I was hearing my Father speak straight to me. I can never forget it. You might have something to offer, but I have already been ready all these years waiting for this moment because when I read that scripture, I didn't just commit it to my head. I ingested it into my heart, and I waited for this moment where that scripture which had come so deep into me, would be applied to this moment. And so now you need to know that man doesn't live on, uh, on bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the Father. He might have written it down. He might have scratched it in the sand. But one thing I know is he scratched it on the tablet of his heart, and it was so his that he was ready. The scripture was his. That one had become his, and he was applying it with power to the moment. Have you been owning the scriptures? Are, are there certain scriptures, the, 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 the kind of um, words that are described as there's this logos word and there's the rhema word. The, the logos word is just that God brings words. He speaks. But every now and again, the rhema word, it becomes three-dimensional. You suddenly look at it and it jumps off the page. You can see the picture. That's what it is like to read scripture. I love how Rob Reimer says it. He says, when the Spirit breathes on a word in Scripture, it stirs within you. It leaps off the page at you. And this is the moment that God is near. This is the moment of divine breakthrough. This is the moment, if you let it, when the piercing of the heart can take place. The deep work of transformation can begin. 
every time you pick up the Bible, you're only one Holy Spirit breath away from a fresh encounter with the living God. It's a beautiful gift. It's an important habit. I love, uh, again, John Tyson, he says, you know, when you read the Bible, if, if you're a Baptist, you'll say, you know, I was reading and something really stood out to me. <laughs> if you're a, a Presbyterian, you would go, you know, when I was reading the scriptures, I experienced deep illumination. And if you're a, a, a kind of Pentecostal or charismatic, you go, when I read the scripture, it wrecked me. I was broken, you know. But the same thing happened to every single person. They just used different language. The Holy Spirit helped you. He illuminated something. He turned something from 2D to 3D, and you were wowed by it. So you read the scriptures. We need to read them. We need to read them slowly. We need to read them systematically. We don't kind of open up each day and sort of close our eyes and ping the donkey. No, we read a verse at a time, a chapter at a time, and we go through slowly through the scriptures. We've got brilliant resources to help you read the Bible better. Go check them out. But secondly, we think. We actually apply our minds. We begin to ask God for insights into the scripture that we're reading. You begin to ponder what it is that you've read. You're not just reading it because you want to cover ground because the pastor said, read your Bible. You're actually trying to work out, can I understand what is happening here? Is there something going on here that is going to bring illumination? This does require some hard work. You can't be thinking about your 10 o'clock meeting when you're trying to understand Scripture. You've got to do a little bit of brain work. Yes, in the morning, a bit of brain work. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It does something in us when we begin to do that work. Uh, let me give you an example of life. Let's say uh, somebody says this sentence. She spent the morning at a meeting near Marine Circle in Tableview, then rushed quickly to Danoon for a planning meeting about housing. You already are piecing together what's happening there. She had a meeting in Tableview, Marine Circle, so you're going, oh, I know the kind of people she's meeting. There's a bunch of coffee shops there. So you're thinking through what she's doing there. Then she's going to Danoon to, to sort out some, some housing issue. You know exactly what kind of housing issue she's planning and working through, Right? Because you understand the area. You tell that to somebody from New York. She had a meeting, meetings in the morning in Tableview Marine Circle, and then she sorted out housing in Danoon. It's gibberish. It means nothing to that person because they don't know what's going on in those contexts. They don't know that's the coffee shop hub. They don't know that's where there's housing crises going on. All they think is like, well, she's trying to build her own home maybe in a place called Danoon, and she likes coffee. Whatever. Well, you, you know, she has meetings. She works. Here's the thing about Scripture. There is always a context. There's always something going on in the Scriptures that you want to try to discern. When Jesus moved from one town to the next, and he goes to his favorite town, and he keeps pitching up at that place, and there's these people he calls his friends, and you go, wow, he had this amazing friend named Lazarus, and you start to get into his shoes. You start to understand, or you're reading Isaiah, which I've been reading lately, and every time there's mention of Babylon, there's this big powerhouse who God is using to, to actually, one, uh, discipline his people Israel, but also to show his sovereignty over the whole world. There's this amazing story that's going on. You've got to understand some of that. The question is, can you? The answer is, yes, you can. You can do it. Tell the person next to you, you can do it. 
No, no, no. A bit louder than that. You can do it. Okay? Now you're going to tell them another thing. Tell them, you can understand Scripture. Say that again. You can understand Scripture. Don't write yourself off. You don't need a theological degree. You don't even need a matric. A standard three will do. You can read it. You can understand it. You can start to get some context. You start doing some digging. Yesterday, I'm reading Isaiah 42, and it talks about the deserts and the towns rejoicing. Let the settlements where Kedar live rejoice. Let the people of Salah sing for joy. And you're like, cool, the people in different places must sing for joy. Happy for them. Until you realize that this is about a prophecy about when the Messiah comes. And you go, whoa, what's going to happen when the Messiah comes? Oh, wow, the people from Salah, they, they, they were defeated by their enemy. Oh, so the defeated are going to rejoice. And the deserts must rejoice. What are the deserts? Oh, suddenly I read my study Bible. Oh, the deserts are always synonymous in Isaiah with, uh, with barren places, places of struggle and, and, and strife. Oh. I mean, the Messiah comes, the barren places are going to rejoice. What? And then there's this other one who's desperate. Oh, who's that guy again? Um, uh, Kedar. They're the desperate people who just can't find a way out. They too, when the Messiah comes, are going to rejoice. You just need to read a little bit and suddenly you go, whoa, when the Messiah comes, good news is coming. The most unexpected people are going to begin to find joy. I found that. Pretty ordinary dude, struggled to finish matric, discovered something in the scriptures. You can do it too. You can read it. You can understand it. You can find stuff. I don't mind if you want to ask Oswald Chambers or Beth Moore or someone else on version to help you read the Bible for a while, but my hope for you is that you start to read it and you start to find some stuff for yourself and you start to discover the power and the beauty of actually seeing God. I think it's 2 Corinthians 3. It says, we who with unveiled faces behold the Lord's glory with ever-increasing glory. You know what that means is that you don't need Oswald Chambers' highest for your, his utmost for your highest, whatever it may be, to get you to God. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. You can do it. Are you convinced? Then you want to pray about it. You've, you've started to get some understanding of what's going on. Now, now pray through it. And you ask the question here, how do I obey what I'm reading? How do I actually obey it? Here is the clincher. If you could uh, change the world, it's when we do step two to three. You don't just read it and go, whoa, that was cool. You read it and you go, now, Lord, how do I turn this into my life? What does this look like for me? James chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only. That's deceiving your own self. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his, uh, at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the grace of God motivating you to say, you know what, Jesus, you have got me this far. Now that I see your word, I am doing what you've called me to do. Obedience becomes a hunger in our hearts. I want to obey you. I want to actually enact what you've called me to. 
This is so crucial in our generation because we're training ourselves to receive information without any action upon it. We are the best generation in human history to have all the information you could ever imagine. And it is being expanded at an exponential rate. There is nothing you can't know. Nothing. You can know anything you want. But there is some stuff you need to know and ingest. And there's some stuff you need to stop filling your mind with so that you can fill your mind with the right stuff that it can transform your heart and you can obey it. And we need to grade our information, I think. There's some things you read, you know, quickly while you're busy doing stuff. And there's some stuff you read slowly while you're doing nothing but focusing because you want it to change you. And we've got to work out when is my gold standard time in Scripture happening because this is undistracted time. On Wednesday, I was reading Isaiah 42 as an example. I can't read the whole thing, but it says, I've called you into righteousness. And it says, um, again, talking of, of the Messiah to come, to open up eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from, uh, and then in verse 6 it says, and to be a light for the Gentiles. Right at the end it says, see, the former things have taken place. New things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. So my personal devotion, I'm going, what do I do with this thing? Before they come into being, I announce them to you. I find myself going, Jesus, you are the, the true prophet. You're the one who announced the future to be. You came into the present, but you showed us what the future is like. And I felt like God going, you need to be, live like a prophet. You need to live like the presence of the future has come now in your kindness, in your love. You are a picture of the world to come in the way that you live. And I felt like God just saying, live like a prophet. Be a picture of the world to come. Wow, cool. Then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to PJ and Carling's wedding. Are you guys here? Yay, these guys have just got married. Um, that was the worst encouragement ever. They've just got married. Give them a round of applause. Yoo-hoo. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of about to prep the, the ceremony, and I'm like, this is really exciting. And then I go back to my morning devotional. I go, how do I obey you, God? And I look again, I'm going, oh my goodness, these guys are called to the nations. They feel God calling them to, to, to love people in places that we've never been to. And it says, and a light for the Gentiles. Oh, God, how do I obey? This must be for them. So I slotted in, copy pasted into my outline, and I feel like this was put here today for them. And I share it in the wedding ceremony, and I hope it encouraged you guys. And then I remember my buddy's going to the pediatrician. Because his child just isn't developing as fast as he'd hoped. And they're feeling really worried that it's just not working out. And there's some real concerns. And you're starting to feel the panic in someone's voice. And you're feeling the angst for them. And that was the day before. And I start praying for them. And I go, how do I obey you in the scripture? And I look again at the scripture. And I go, oh my gosh. See, the former things have taken place. New things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Suddenly faith wells up in my heart. This little boy is going to bring good news to the world. So I message him. Here's my WhatsApp. I message him. Can we put that up? Should be around there somewhere. There it is. And I share. Just a sense this morning. Ben's a child of promise. One whose life will declare the things to come before they spring forth. Then I asked him how it went. He took hours to reply. And, uh, and then he read that little prophetic encouragement. And he said, wow, but makes me a little bit emotional. 
That was just a tiny example of trying to obey God in that little time of Scripture going, how do I take it from practice and theory to reality? How do I make this my own? How do I love people through it? We live in a world where John Tyson says we have the great challenge of resonance. I really resonated with what you said. While I had my earplugs in and I was you know, driving to you know, work and uh, listened to what you said and uh, also screamed at the guy who cut in front of me and also thought about my next meeting, I really resonated. Resonance, cool. But we don't want people who just resonate with other people. We want people, we want to become people who are welling up with our own deep sense of revelation of what God is doing. I don't just resonate with you. I am building a reservoir of my own sense of God at work in the world. He's doing something through me, and it could be through you. Eugene Peterson, Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. Your Bible reading needs to call you to say, how do I obey today? How does this get traction in my life? And then finally, how does this time turn from just a reading time, to an encounter with God? How do I not just read it, obey because I need to do stuff, but how do I ensure that as I read, I actually internalize this in the presence of God? This is a really crucial step where you're getting to the point where you're going, I'm sensing God. This, this thing about you know God calling things into being before they actually happen, wow, and I, and I could be part of this. It's at this point where you probably slow down. Maybe you've been journaling, you've been writing thoughts. This is my journal. I've got a stack of unwritten on ones waiting for this one to finish, and I'll get the next one. They're about 12 rand at pick and pay. And uh, you just keep writing in them. But at this point, you slow down. You go, God, you, 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 I, I, I don't want to just go through the motions this morning. And Lord, I'm tired of just you know, saying yes at the end. Today I give you my own hesitancy. And today I give you my fear of rejection. I'm so tempted to close the scriptures now, but I don't want to do that. I know that you accept me. And I know that you call me into a participation, into a journey. And so as I think about this text, I pray that you would turn it into something real. And I own the fact that I'm scared sometimes to, to try to be a, a person who, who shows the love of Jesus. And I sometimes hold back. But today I want to, in confidence, love the world because you've called me to be a picture of the world to come. And so today, Lord, when it comes to my fears, I'm going to lay them aside. I'm going to share the messages I need to share. I'm going to slow down and love the people I need to slow down. Oh, God, and, and, and I think of this person who's struggling. And I, and I begin to let this thing turn into a God thing. One of the suggestions is you actually name your devotionals. You, you actually hardwire it into your brain. There's something about your own naming, your own writing it down that begins to become your thing. Friday morning, I tried this because uh, it was Black Friday. Amazingly, I'm reading Isaiah and I'm into 43 and suddenly God is belittling. He's like kind of having a real go at all these people who drag around uh, wooden 
uh, idols everywhere. They carve them out of wood, and he just basically goes, you guys carve these things out of wood, you build them, you get uh, animals to pull them around, and then you go and worship them as if they're living when they're so dead. What's wrong with you? I had my Black Friday devotional, and I found myself going, I want to have a Black Friday kind of heart. So I wrote, that's the title of, 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 of Friday morning's time in the scriptures, have a Black Friday heart. When the world are chasing after all kinds of stuff, thinking it's going to save them if they get it on a special. There's some good specials. <laughs> like nappies. We don't have the nappy stage, but we used to always get nappies and cleaning detergent. But, but I realized in that moment, God, you put this here because I don't want to chase stuff. I want a heart that's pure before you. I want a heart that encounters you as my primary treasure so that I can look at the world scurrying about to get stuff. And I can with integrity go, whew, I've done the hard work there. I don't need it. There might be stuff that is crucial to get, but, but not, nothing this week, not nothing this year. And so my heart is rested. And I slow down. Because I've, I've got a Black Friday ready heart. It's sorted in the presence of God. I've done it in his presence. He's worked with me. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and godness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Every morning, I get to participate in the divine nature. Sorry, kids. I'll be with you at 20 past six. I'm busy participating in the divine nature. I'm reading scripture. I'm letting God do something. And how about this? Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Hey, I'm prone to lust. I'm prone to longing for stuff I shouldn't long for. I'm prone to all kinds of silly stuff. Kids, you can wait till 20 past six. I am dealing with the corruption of the world in my own heart. Give me time. I need it, and you need it. The scriptures help us to do this, right? It's some deep encoding. Get creative. But one thing I would encourage you not to do is nothing. The scriptures are a gift. In the 1600s, these went to the printing press and have become available to every human being on the face of the earth. And we can have it. And we can study it, and we can know it. And we can have a study version of it that can help you through it when you don't understand stuff. Get one, study it, let the scriptures encode deeply into you. This is a gift. When the Holy Spirit comes on your Bible reading, your whole world gets re-encoded. And I want that for you, because our secular society wants to slowly drip feed and counterform us into the image of anything but Jesus. It's slow, it's steady, but it's powerful. And we need to be the kind of people who say, no, I participate in divine nature. I'm escaping corruption. Not to judge it, not to look down from a high hill, but to learn to become a person of love because I have a better picture. Because I have seen the word become flesh and he's dwelt amongst me just this morning. He dwelt with me and now I get to be a person on mission. I'm going to ask us to stand. The band are going to come up. But if you could maybe just even stay seated, actually, just for a moment. Sorry, the band can come up. You don't stay seated. I want you to just, we've done this exercise before. But I want you to take some time in your own heart now. 
just to reflect on your relationship with God and your hunger for Scripture and your longing to meet with God and to consider today a fresh start, to consider today some processes. Amateurs wait for inspiration. Professionals have a process. If there's one thing I want to finish my life being a pro at, it's being with God in Scripture. Because out of that is a fountainhead of all kinds of other transformation and impact in the world. I want to be the kind of man whose kids say, my dad prioritized him before even us. Each morning I saw him with God. God, that's not always true for me. It's not always true for us, but God, you are the one who calls us to many happy returns. For those of us who are returning after a a long break from intentional reading of Scripture, from a hungering after your word, I pray today that we would turn a corner, that we'd say a big yes in our diary, in our hearts, in the way that we live and what we prioritize. I know for myself, God, that's to adjust some of my exercise habits. It's to adjust some of my my priorities in my calendar to make sure that this is a big yes to you and your presence in Scripture. Lord, as we all stand together, we stand in unison saying a big yes to meeting with you. A big yes to encouraging each other in Scripture, encouraging each other towards this gift, reminding you, reminding each other that this is a gift from you and asking you that as we dig into Scripture, you would empower us with your Spirit so that the weeks and months and years ahead are radically different. I'm so aware, Lord, this morning that this city and this area does not need people with cool social media accounts. It needs people with a depth that can only come with encountering you in Scripture. And I pray that you would help us to that end. Let's stand, let's sing.